Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice, be glad in it. No matter what, no matter what. You know, God's in charge of this whole universe. There, there's not a star one out there that's outside of God's control. There's not a molecule in all this universe that God is not familiar with. He's the blessed controller of all things, isn't he? Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen a miracle? You ever seen any miraculous things happen? Have you ever uh, been enthralled by someone's biblical knowledge and teaching? You just sit there and go, wow, I wish I could teach like that. Or I just wish that I could, this man just can, he just raises his hand and people just fall and slain. Would you like to have that kind of power? We'd like to have the power to pray for somebody and they get well. You know, just walk through hospital wards and just your presence just gets people out of their hospital beds. If you had that kind of ability, or if you knew someone that had that ability, you would just be astounded, just astounded by the, the spiritual power and oomph and unction that they have and say, this person must be of God. But guess what? It's not always true, is it? It's not always true. There are some things that look like they're really, really spiritual and supernatural that are not from God. We're going to talk about that today. I trust that you brought your Bibles with you. It's the weapon that you carry in your hands. Bring it to church with you every Sunday morning. The Word of God. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. We'll read the first six verses. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. You see that? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, awaken our souls to know your truth, Lord that uh, our minds would be impregnated by the truth of your word, that we would be diligent students of the word, Father, to know what is truth and what is, what is an error. 
Uh, Father, when we see and hear that which is spiritual and supernatural, Father, uh, may we believe what your word says and put no credence into what is not part of your word that's not validated by your word. Your word is truth. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. I have a pastor friend I've known for several years already, several, several, several years, and he often has made this statement, blessed or blessed, if you're a King James person, blessed or blessed are the balanced, blessed are the balanced. You know, kind of, life is kind of like walking on a balance beam, isn't it? You just kind of, you've got to be careful where you put your next step. Blessed are the balanced. What is right and what is wrong? What is good? What is evil? What is of God? What is not of God? We should know these things. I I, I chose to begin this message using that statement, blessed are the balanced, because I have found that in the in oftentimes in the church, oftentimes in the church, that we tend not to balance what we understand to be of God with what we so often understand to be supernatural. We, we often think sometimes because something appears to be supernatural that it must be from God. You see somebody getting healed, and we say, that must be from God. If you see somebody uh, just being able to get up and, and, and teach a Bible lesson, man, that guy or that woman has got a wonderful gift to teach the Word of God. But let me ask you, are you looking at the person or are you checking out what the person's saying? What is important is not the charisma of the person, but the correctness of the word. Listen to what they are saying. Watch what they are doing. Does it jive with the word of God? Does it fit with the word of God? For example, Jesus in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7 and verse 22, and you're very familiar with this passage of Scripture, but Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. You see, here we have somebody that is a tremendous preacher and teacher, and somebody that has the ability to cast out demons, and somebody has the ability to do miraculous things, they say, Lord, look what we're doing in your name. We can do all these things in your name. And what does Jesus say to them in the very next verse? In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Doesn't it just make you shudder in your shoes and your boots when you think that we could be going before God and say, God, look what I have done in your name. I have preached these marvelous messages. I have taught these wonderful Bible lessons. I have done all these miraculous things. I have prayed over people and they've gotten well. Look at all these wonderful things that I've done. And God looks at you and says, I never, I don't know you. I don't know you. You think because we have a denominational name attached to us that we're safe. I'm trying to find that verse. I think that might be in a book of second opinions. 
That means absolutely nothing to God. What really matters, folks, what really matters is what, we gotta, is what we're looking at here today. How do we balance, how do we balance what we think is spiritual with what is reality? What is God's truth? How do we figure this out? And if we want to be balanced people, should we not be people who have, have been diligent in our study of the Word of God so that we know what truth is, so that we can balance the truth with what is of error? Everything that appears to look as though it's from God, that it's spiritual, might not necessarily be from God. The spiritual or the supernatural needs to be examined by that which is scriptural. Not by how you feel about it, not what you think about it, not to say, well, that's what we do in a Baptist church. That, that matters little. It matters little or nothing at all. What we think it means because it seems to be Baptistic. If we come to grips with what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, we should come to the conclusion that that which is of the devil could appear to many as being from God. It could appear that it comes from God. You all are aware, I'm trusting that you're aware of the fact that, that, this, that Satan is a counterfeit. He uses counterfeit supernatural things miracles and wonders and signs to make you think that it's from God. And all the while, he's using these things to not to get you closer to God, but to draw you away from God. He will use good things to keep you from doing God's things. So then, as we look at our text for today, first verse of John, first uh, John 4, 1, John gives us two stern warnings. The first one, he says, do not believe, do not believe every spirit and then he adds in that same verse, but test the spirits. Now, the reason for this should be obvious to all of us. What you see or what you hear may not be from God. Just that simple. What we have in verse 1 is our responsibility, the church's responsibility, to come to the understanding that every pastor... Every preacher or teacher speaks as a messenger of some spirit. That person who's teaching you, who's preaching to you, that person is a messenger, is the mouthpiece, the spokesperson of some kind of a spirit. Are you, are you all aware of that? That whatever is being said, that there is a spirit behind that motivates, influences that person to speak. Verse 2 then tells us that there are those who speak at, as the representative of the Spirit of God. And in verse 6, we read that there are those who speak as the representative of the Spirit of error. So what John is saying is that even in those early years, 2,000 years ago when the church was just in its embryonic stages, in those early years of the church, there was the tendency, just as there is today, to accept some erroneous teaching or even some so-called miraculous event as being from God. So here's the question then. 
How do we today balance these things so that we can distinguish what is true from what is false? How do we do that? Has everything you've ever seen that seems to be spiritual, are you certain that it's from God? Has everything that you've heard, either from the pulpit or from the Sunday school classroom, are you sure that it's from God? Are you confident? The things that you believe about the Bible, are you absolutely certain that it is from God? Or is it something that you just choose to believe because that's what you've heard? If you're not investigated for yourself. You know, people say, well, there are many ways to interpret this. You know, there, that's true. There's, there may be many ways to interpret the Scripture, but folks, there's only one truth. There may be many ways to look at it, but there's only one truth. The Bible doesn't say, well, you could do this, 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 or this, or this. It doesn't say that. It just says that there is a truth. Are you certain that what you believe, what you hear, what you see with your eyes, are you sure that that is from God? John says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. We're talking about balance. You know, when God is in us, you've got proper balance. Paul says it is Christ in you who is the hope of glory. There's balance in that. When you have Christ in you, you're balanced spiritually. You're balanced scripturally. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Is that correct? According to Scripture, it says that. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 1, 13 and following. He's a guarantee of your life in Christ. That's in Scripture. So you, you have this perfect balance within you. I have, a, I have an ear problem. Uh, I don't know if you all know this, but, but there are some times that, uh, that I, I get a little bit, my equilibrium gets out of joint. And so I, I stumble sometimes. I've had this for 20 years already. And, and so there's, a, there's an imbalance if I lay down in bed, the moment I put my head on a pillow, the first two or three seconds, things are moving on me. I got I to gotta focus and get my balance back. When I get up in the morning, I, have, I stumble because I don't have proper balance. I don't want that to be part of what I believe. When you are in Christ, you have the responsibility to have your life so balanced that whatever confronts you and assails you, that you'll not be, you'll not be moved this way or this way, but you'll stay the course. That is why it is so, it's an imperative for us that we know the Word of God, that we know what is true, that when something happens in church or something, something miraculous happens in your life, that you test us to see whether it is from God or not. Just don't believe it because you've seen it. Let's not be so charitable with our Christian beliefs 
You know, we are, as Christians, you know, we're a charitable people. We are a charitable people. And we, if we see something that is an error, we say, well, let's be gentle with him. Listen, if somebody's teaching you something that is an error, don't be gentle with them. Say, brother, you're wrong. Sister, you're wrong. If you say, you know, people, if, if somebody says, well, let's just give them time and maybe they'll, they'll, they'll get, we mean give them time. If, if they're corrupting the people from the truth of God's word, you don't give them time. You correct them right there. Reprove, re- rebuke, exhort with long suffering that you say, listen, let me, let, me share you, let me share with you what is the truth. What you're teaching is not the truth. Let me help you find the truth. But don't let them continue to teach people what is an error. It's wrong. You're driving them away from Christ. You're driving them away from the truth of God's word. We must take this word seriously. We live in a time today where where the world has its own system of beliefs. And if we fall into that system of beliefs where we want to be so charitable with everybody and we just want to be so, you know, wishy-washy, you know, folks, we are, we are children of God. We're not milk toast sitting in a pew. You are kings and queens that belong to God. You're a child of God. The angels of God don't even have what you have. You are his bride. We must stand firm. We must be resolved that we are, we're not going to be swayed from, from one thing to the other, but we're going to stand true to the Word of God. There are tendencies to accept ideas and thoughts and teachings the, that the world would cause us to lean to, or lean to a belief that contradicts the expressed biblical teachings. You know, what is the world teaching today? Three things that the world teaches today. Number one is... There is no supremacy in Christ. Number two, there is no sufficiency in Christ. And number three, there is no necessity of Christ. That's what the world's teaching today. We can't accept that. We cannot, you cannot accept that. I will not accept that. You cannot accept that. That, listen, Christ is supreme. Christ is sufficient. Christ is necessary. So let's not be so legalistic that we say, oh, you know, well, we're people of the book. You can't play cards. You can't dance. You can't go to movies. You know, I've heard, when I, when I first became a Christian 3,000 years ago, <laughs> I heard that you can't go bowling anymore. No more bowling balls for you. I said, where, where is this at? Well, you know, Baptists can't dance. To this day, I cannot do the Watusi. <laughs> where, where do we find these things? No, listen, no smiling, no pleasure, folks. I don't want to say, I don't want to see a smile out of one of you. We become so legal. And then the other tendency is we become so libertarian. Oh, whatever you want to do, because grace is greater than any sin. You just you feel good, do it. Well, you know what? Both are wrong, aren't they? 
Both are wrong. When you go to eat, some of you are going to go eat after we're done here, aren't? If I let you out in time, you're going to go eat, and you're going to go. Some of you, some of you might even challenge yourself to go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. All you can possibly shove in your mouth. I'm going to go to this place and eat. But you know what I know about every one of you, and it's probably, you're going to stop when you get full. I'm hoping so. Either that or there'll be a cardiac arrest. Because your mind and your stomach are in balance with one another. I think those two working together. Your mind says, oh man, look at that, you know, peach cobbler. And I want, you know, five pounds of that. You know, all the pizza you can possibly eat. I want that. I think I do want But your stomach says, you know what, I'm full. And your mind says, stop. But when it comes to spiritual things, there is not a stop button there. When it comes to spiritual things, because you see something happening in church, and you think it's from God, and, and somebody's teaching you something that's not true, and, something, and something's happening in a church that's, that is not from God, and, and we allow it to continue, there's not a stop button. We become deceived. Folks, we can't let that happen. Let me read something for you. From, from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Paul writing to young Timothy says this. Begin at the first verse. The Spirit exp- explicitly says that in latter times or later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. You see? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, he's just not playing with words. He's talking of truth. He says that there are things that are going to happen in the, in the latter times that are deceitful, and the doctrine is not from God, but the doctrine is from the, from the demons. He says, by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate, advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And listen, he says, for everything, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Folks, what is sanctified is it when it, it comes from the Word of God and it is spiritual because God is in it, because God is in you, and it is spiritual, it is acceptable. If what you have in you, that is, if God is in you and you are doing the Word of you are practicing the Word of God, it is spiritual, it is godly, it blesses God. Look at verse 2 of our text. He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So let's be careful here and, and come to a proper understanding that somehow believing that Jesus Christ is God 
You know, just because we say that Jesus Christ is God or that He has come from God, that we think that that is sufficient enough to save us. It's not sufficient enough. To say that Jesus Christ is God is not good enough. That does not save you. To say that you believe that Jesus is God is not enough. To, to, for you to say that Jesus has come from God is not enough. It just is not enough. I, I, how many times? Well, pastor, I believe that Jesus is God. Well, great. So does every demon. Our confession must be, listen, our confession must be that Jesus Christ is the incarnate God. That is that he is, the, he is God and man. 100% God, man. He's the incarnate God who has and who is our Savior and our Lord. Just believing that Jesus is God simply will not work. Let me tell you why. See, that's why I say we, we, we need to balance these things up. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, a demon spirit, an unclean spirit, is speaking to Jesus in Mark 1, 24. And this is, what the, this is what he says. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? The demon is saying to Jesus, what business do we have with each other, Jesus? That's what he's saying. And then he says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that Jesus is God, that he's from God. He knows that. He believes that. He's absolutely positive of that. He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. It is obvious that this demon knew who Jesus was, recognized and admitted, and admitted that Jesus is God. But in no way, in no way was Jesus acknowledged by that unclean spirit as being what? His Lord. You can tell me all you want that you know Jesus. I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord? That's the question. Not that Jesus is God, but is Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. Don't say, well, he's my Savior. Someday I hope to make him Lord. No, 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 no. Don't tell me that. If, if, listen, if you say, well, he's my Savior, but he's not my Lord, let me tell you, you got your theology all fumbuzzled. If, he, if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. I'm telling you that right now. He is both Savior and Lord. It is Jesus himself who tells us it is the work of the Holy Spirit to give testimony as to who he is and to glorify him. He tells us that in John 15, 26 and John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit tells us that Jesus Christ is who he is, that he's Savior and he's Lord, that he is God. And we're to put our trust into the fact that He is Savior and Lord. Now, stay with me here. In, in verse 2 of our text, we find the word C-O-M-E. You know what? We would read this a million times and just zip through it like a race car. We, so just, we see that word and just zip through it, right? Because who would ever stop and say, I'm looking at the word, come here. 
The word, C-O-M-E, come, is in the perfect tense. What does that mean to us? Well, if it's in a perfect tense in the Greek, it means this. It, it is an action. It is an action that took place in the past. Listen very carefully. This is so important. It says that he's come in the flesh. It's an action that took place in the past that continues today. Now, keep that in mind because you'll find that same word or root meaning word found in 2 John, 2 John, which we never use hardly, every little shortest book, shortest book in the New Testament, right? Shortest book in the Bible, 2 John, 2 John, just a handful of verses. But in 2 John, verse 7, John writes, acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. That word coming is the same present tense word that is found in our text for today, where it says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This too is in a perfect tense and is, is continuing in the present. Something happened back there, it's continuing. So what does all this mean? It means that our Lord Jesus Christ, who became flesh in His incarnation. Now the incarnation, we just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. You know, the greatest gift that God gave us, the greatest gift that God gave us, the greatest gift was not found underneath a Christmas tree this year. I don't care what you spent for it. The greatest gift ever given is that little babe lying in a manger 2,000 years ago. When God gave us the gift of himself, he did not have to do that. Are you all aware of that? That God did not have to condescend to come and be our Savior and our Lord, did he? Didn't have to do that. But when you think of Christmas, you see that little child, that little baby, that human being lying in a, in a, in a feeding trough. That little baby who became an adult human being, fully God, fully man at the same time. That little baby, because it is in the perfect tense in the Greek, what it means is what they saw back then 2,000 years ago, you will see someday when Jesus comes back for you or when you, if God were to come and, and take us home to be with him. When you get face to face with Jesus, you're going to see the same Jesus that the apostles saw. He's not some spirit being just floating around in the heavenlies. He is that same Jesus. It's in the perfect tense in the Greek that he has come and he stays that way. That what you will see is not the crucified Jesus, but that glorified body Jesus that rose from the dead after the third day. He's come alive and he's ascended into glory and someday he's coming back. It'll be that same Jesus that walked here 2,000 years ago. That's who you will see. Perfect tense. We should be thankful that that's written in a perfect tense. It has become as permanent, that human body has become as permanent possession. So, as we come to verse 3, John states in essence that the person who does not accept and believe in the incarnation of Jesus, that is God becoming man, we don't believe that God put on flesh. If they don't believe that, they says, you're not of God. He says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So if someone comes and teaches about some other kind of Jesus, 
Not the Jesus found in the Bible. Not the Jesus that is, is, is what God teaches. But they talk about some other kind of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Have them stop. Enough. Put an end to it. That's that great theologian, Barney Fife, said, nip it in the bud. Stop them. What we as Christians must maintain and guard is the doctrine of Christ's deity and his humanity. Friends, this is a non-negotiable doctrine of the church. In 451 B.C., I believe it was 451, I could be off a couple of years, 451 B.C., A.D., I mean, not, not B.C., but A.D., the Council of Chalcedon met, and they discussed the hypostatic union of Christ. What does that mean? The church met. 1,600 years ago, and they come together and say, listen, we need to investigate the fact that Jesus Christ is both God and man, 100% God and 100% man. And you know what their conclusion was? That Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% human. And folks, we should believe that too. We must believe that. Do not diminish, disrupt, destroy, demote this doctrine. It is imperative that the church believe this. If you do not believe it, it is the spirit of Antichrist that has led you astray. Don't listen to that messenger if they tell you something else. It is evident in our interpreting verse 4, then we verse 4, that the church to whom John was writing did not fall for the heretical teaching that, they, that these people were putting out. Look at verse 4. He says, you are from God. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Why did these heretics fail to convince the church of this false teaching that Jesus is not both God and human? Why did they fail in it? The answer is very obvious because it's right there in front of your eyes. Because greater is he who is in you. Listen, take this to heart. Greater is he. You got God in you. You have got God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and he is your Savior and Lord, God dwells within you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. The Spirit of God will not guide you into error, will he? going to guide you into truth. So let's ask ourselves this question. How can we be certain that we would or should not fall for this type of false doctrine? There's two things that will keep us from falling in this, this false doctrine. Number one, we have the infallible, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. We have this. It's in your hands. It's in your homes. I hope it just not just not only sit on your coffee table as as a paperweight. You have this. This is not just some book you buy at a bookstore. Folks, what you have here are words that are God breathed. 
This is God speaking to you. God speaking to you. Why do we say, well, you know, God doesn't speak to us today as he did back in the Old Testament times or, or the New Testament. What is this? Is this not God speaking to us? Absolutely. The second reason how we could avoid falling for these false teachings is the Holy Spirit is our guide into all the truth. John 16, 13. As he leads us into truth, what is our responsibility? We apply that truth. Apply it. Don't be charitable and charming and say, well, we'll just let, we'll, we'll, we'll let it, what you taught, we'll just let it slide. No, you, I mean, let it slide. Where, where are you going to send that person to hell number two or hell number three? Don't let it slide. You deal with it. You must confront, confront an error. It will destroy the church if you don't confront it. Verse 5, we're coming to a close here. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. The world both recognizes, accepts, and adheres to that which the, the followers of, of this world teach. A worldview, a worldview does not nor will not accept a biblical view as to who God is. It will not accept a biblical view as to who mankind is. It will not accept a biblical view as to what our purpose for being is. In fact, do you even know what our purpose for being is? I'm going to give you the answer. The purpose for our being is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. God wants us to enjoy Him, to glorify God. Everything we do should bring glory to God. Because if it doesn't bring glory to God, then what is it? You know what a good definition of sin is? Is robbing God of the glory that's due Him. If you don't give glory to God and you take away from giving Him glory, then you're sinning against God. Whatever we do should bring glory to God. That's the purpose of our being, to give glory to God. And notice this, Satan is the head of this world system, and therefore, since he's the head of this world system, and he influences the mind, will, and emotions of people who are lost, listen, he ultimately is behind any and all heresies. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, we read this, Paul writing, he says, you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Satan. That Satan's dominion is this atmosphere. And he controls, he controls and manipulates and maneuvers and influences the people who are outside of the union with Christ, who God is not within them. He controls their, their thinking, so their mind and the will and their, and, their, and, and their emotions, although still active, are activated by Satan. They're energized by Satan. And they do the bidding that he wants them to do. Have you ever wondered why I say, why are people doing this? What is this madness going on in the world? Why are we calling good evil and evil good? It doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure this out. It's because there's a devil. Last verse, verse 6. All of us who are in Christ... 
So don't understand this. Verse 6 says, we are from God. If you are in Christ, listen, we are from God. If we are born of God, then there must be a growth principle. Remember when Jesus Christ was born, little baby born? What happened? He grew up, didn't he? Got bigger and bigger and taller. and Right? What happens when God comes within you? What is our responsibility to grow in the knowledge of who God is, shouldn't we? Listen to this. There's a growth principle active inside each one of us that's from God. And, and this brings us to a fuller, deeper maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, listen to what Paul writes. He says, until we all, until we all, not just him, we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or woman to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As Christ grew in wisdom and spiritually and physically as he grew, so are we to grow in Christ. How do we grow in Christ? By the word of God which indwells us, isn't it? The more, the more of God's word that you put into your mind and your heart allows you to grow spiritually so that you're not taken captive by empty teaching and philosophies. Growth comes by knowing God and by knowing His Word. The balanced person stays on course with the one who has called him or her and who is sure of the ground on which they stand. Are you sure? Are you sure of the ground on which you stand? Folks, you have heard today the fact that Jesus Christ is to be Savior and Lord of your life. I cannot... I cannot convert you. I cannot convince you. I can only tell you what the truth is. I can only tell you what the truth is. But it is the Holy Spirit who will work in your life. And He, he, and he does what? He's the one that convinces us of sin. of judgment, of righteousness. He does that. As the Holy Spirit right now, perhaps working in your life right now, convincing you concerning your relationship with Jesus Christ, that you need, that you need Christ as your Savior today. Listen, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you sense that Spirit of God working in your life right now, calling you to salvation. 